Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Joe Biden is likely feeling pretty good this morning. Resounding victories in four states last night. And that includes Michigan. That state's 125 delegates were considered a must-win for Senator Bernie Sanders to keep up in the race. Joe Biden this morning says he's unstoppable. And a good Wednesday to you. Here we go again with another warm day slated across portions of the southern United States. A duo of Russian pranksters say they duped Prince Harry into believing he was on the phone with climate activist Greta Thunberg and her father. The stunning twist on the grand finale of The Bachelor. There's been plenty of talks surrounding where Tom Brady will play next season. Why Tampa is another realistic landing spot. Brooklyn goes into Staples Center and knocks off the Lakers 104-102, the second largest upset loss for the Lakers all season. Russian lawmakers have approved legislation that could let President Vladimir Putin stay in office until 2036. Judgment Day for Harvey Weinstein. The convicted rapist and former Hollywood producer faces up to 29 years in prison. Now to the other big story we're covering, the coronavirus. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday. We call it Hump Day. And a good Wednesday to you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to your new day. It is Wednesday, March 11th. Welcome to your Wednesday, March 11th. March 11th. March 11th. March 11th. March 11th. March 11th. March 11th, 2020. It's Wednesday, March 11th. Don't worry. Be happy. Bobby McFerrin turns 70 years old today. I usually get up 5 o'clock, 5.15. I go downstairs, grab some juice, you know, make an egg, go into my home office and just figure out what, what emails came in overnight. My name is Dr. Anthony Fauci and I'm the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. By the time my egg gets finished and... I'm ready to eat it and run. I close my computer, get in the car, and drive to work. I was scheduled to appear before the Congressional House Oversight and Reform hearing. I've testified at hundreds and hundreds of hearings, so it's not a big deal for me. I knew I could answer all the questions, so I didn't get particularly carried away about it. 604, 45 degrees, fair skies right now in New York City. The MTA is wrapping up its disinfecting efforts as they try to contain the spread of the coronavirus. Harvey Weinstein is set to be sentenced in Manhattan Criminal Court today. My name is Byron Pitts. I'm the co-anchor of Nightline at ABC News, based in New York. That day, the big news that I was anticipating was the sentencing of Harvey Weinstein. The former movie executive is facing up to 29 years in prison for the third-degree rape of actress Jessica Mann and for sexually assaulting former production assistant Mimi Haley. By this time, we knew he was guilty. And now the question was, how severe would the punishment be? What statement would be made, not just to Harvey Weinstein and to his victims, but to all who were concerned and felt touched by the Me Too movement? How about this? Dallas climbing up to the middle 80s, getting to almost... Tonight, our NBA Wednesday doubleheader tips off in Dallas. Luke and the Mavs hosting Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets at 8 Eastern. The day of March 11th, I slept in because I was not well. My name is Doris Burke, and I am a basketball analyst for ESPN. 
we've got a transition to Dallas where our very own Doris Burke is. You'll be on a call for the game tonight between the Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks. I have a fairly standard game day routine. I get up, I do some reading and some preparation. I'll make a decision early on the day whether I'm going to work out prior to the production meeting or after. And I knew I wasn't working out. And so I just sort of prepped and I relaxed. I thought about laying down, but I thought, don't lay down because you might sleep through the production lunch. Today, the NBA will hold a conference call with all of its owners to discuss the possibility of moving games or playing them without fans. As the severity of the coronavirus intensifies each day, the NBA is considering stricter measures to protect its players. The Ivy League canceled its men's and women's conference basketball tournaments. March Madness is going on as scheduled, at least for now. I'm Scott Van Pelt. I host the Midnight Edition of SportsCenter. I often refer to myself as a swimming pool. I have a shallow end and a deep end. And I spend a lot of time in the shallow end paying attention to sports because um, it's my job. Also, I like them. I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, went to school at the University of Maryland. And not surprisingly, I view things through this prism of Maryland. Maryland was supposed to play in Indianapolis in the Big Ten tournament. They're waiting for Friday night. Who is it going to be? I remember I had a friend that was going to go, and then they decided not to go. And I said, you know what, you shouldn't because they're never going to play. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, they'll never get to Friday. My name is Kevin Stitt, and I'm governor of the great state of Oklahoma. It's 64 here in Oklahoma City. A Netflix documentary about Oklahoma's self-proclaimed Tiger King, Joe Exotic, is set to release this month. March 11th, it was a normal day. We were going about our business. We were gearing up all the pools. We were doing March Madness. Big 12 tournament starts today. Oklahoma State plays Iowa State. I expect them to win that game. And then six get ready for Kansas. Kansas was who we were, uh, I was projecting. Bill Self is an Oklahoma boy, by the way. And then you got Thunder at 7. Huge game against Utah. This COVID thing. This morning, New York ordering the nation's first containment zone. The governor deploying the National Guard to New Rochelle, a suburban It was still something we were watching happen and unfold in New York and California. There's growing frustration on that cruise ship docked in California. Getting everyone off the ship is taking longer than expected. I think I was just still unsure. Is this really going to hit Oklahoma? How serious do we need to take it as a state? We had two cases at that point. I think we'd had our first case five days before March 11th. A woman in her 20s who recently traveled to Italy is likely Tulsa County and Oklahoma's second case of COVID-19. We had a conversation with with the driver, and the driver was telling us that there wasn't many cases of the coronavirus in Oklahoma City. I want to say there was only like two in Tulsa, but none at the time in Oklahoma City. The driver was like, well, it hasn't hit us here, you know. Hasn't hit us here yet. We travel a lot. We're in the music industry. So. Oh, really? Yeah, what kind of music? Ha- I'm doing the halftime show for the Thunder today. Awesome. Yes. Hello, my name is Frankie J, and I'm an artist. Great. I'm so excited what about kind of music? R&B. Oh. Well, the Thunder staff asked us to go to the clinic. Good morning. Hey. It is a brand new day, and we're off to the doctor. And we had to do it. Like, if we did not do it, I was not going to be able to perform or or my guys would not be able to walk into the arena. Can you believe we 
gotta go to a clinic right now and get checked for coronavirus. Who'd have thought? They did not do the whole swab, you know, up the nose thing. All they did was just temperature, heartbeat, and, you know, our breathing. I just got checked. I just got checked. And I'm good and I'm finally all about to <laughs> That's when we started thinking like, okay, this is definitely going to be a, a different rodeo here. <laughs> My name's Sarah Todd. I'm the Utah Jazz Beat reporter at the Deseret News. I'd gotten into Oklahoma City late on the night of March 10th. You know, it, it's not going to work. Would we want it to work? Yes. So I know that I went to sleep late catching up on The Bachelor. <laughs> um, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you that I love Madison and that should be enough. And so I remember getting the text that we, we didn't need to go to the arena. Instead, they were gonna do their media availability from the team hotel. And I remember thinking, oh, I can sleep for like 10 more minutes. <laughs> Rudy Gobert is one of two stars on that jazz team. And so he's one of the guys that we talk to every single day. But he was not available because him and Emmanuel Moutier were not feeling well that day, and so he didn't take part in shoot-around. So we talked to Quinn Snyder, the head coach, and Donovan Mitchell that morning. Myself, Tony Jones, and Andy Larson, the other beat reporters for the Jazz, we were sort of discussing, like, oh, Twitter's going to go a little crazy if we say that Rudy's sick. You know, maybe we should ask PR if they can tell us, just give us sort of a definitive note. Is this coronavirus? Is it not? And so we did ask, and they said, we can't confirm or deny anything. We can't say exactly what it is. He's sick. That's it. My name is Rob Hennigan. I'm the vice president of basketball operations for the Thunder. Probably right after shoot-around, I, I want to say, Someone for the Jazz actually made us aware that a player in their travel party was presenting symptoms. There's only so much you can share when it comes to a medical situation. We didn't know who it was or if it was coronavirus. I remember at the brunch after shoot around, our coaches and the training staff and the medical staff all at one table literally just like in like deep talks and us kind of being like, yo, what's going on? I'm Jordan Clarkson, sixth man for the Utah Jazz. We was kind of scared because the information that we got from the team was like they were going to get tested for like flu and everything else first. But they were like, if somebody comes up negative with those, they'll get tested for Corona. Emmanuel had got, he was like, uh, I think he was positive for the flu or something. And I think Rudy tested negative on all those tests. I'm Rudy Gobert, and I play for the Utah Jazz. The first day, just waking up with a little cold, uh, like fever, just like I had a, a thousand times before in my life. When we found out that I tested negative for the flu uh, and you know that kind of viruses, the medical staff and and all of us thought it was better for me. It was smart to to go and try to see if it wasn't the the coronavirus. So we went to the Oklahoma City Medical Center and, uh, and got me tested for it. 
As anxiety mounts, medical professionals and potential patients sounding the alarm that there aren't enough testing kits to keep up with the growing numbers. More schools and universities are closing. Harvard University is giving students five days to move out of the dorms. Popular music festival Coachella postponed until October. Major companies like Apple and Google encouraging their employees to work from home. At that time, there were a little bit more than a thousand cases in the United States and 29 deaths. It became a big emergency. Right now, the nation's top infectious disease expert is testifying on Capitol Hill. I'm trying to help the American people know where to appropriately set their gauge. I think you set the gauge is that this is a really serious problem that we have to take seriously. I mean, people always say, well, the flu, you know, the flu does this, the flu does that. The flu has a mortality of 0.1%. This has a mortality of 10 times that. I think one of the basketball tournaments, I think, for the Ivy League, uh, they've cut off their tournament altogether. On the other, nobody talks about, you know, every every night they play like, I don't know, 8 to 10 NBA games and nobody talks about shutting them down. Uh, Is the NBA underreacting or is the Ivy League overreacting? We would recommend that there not be large crowds if that means not having any people in the audience when the NBA plays, so be it. I gave very serious warnings about what was ahead. Is the worst yet to come, Dr. Fauci? Yes, it is. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. And right away, click, 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 you know, C-SPAN's going crazy. Everybody's tweeting that Fauci says it's going to get worse before it gets better. I want to inform members that we have a change in schedule. We whispered in their ear that I have to leave at 11.45 instead of 12. President Trump and Vice President uh, Pence have called our witnesses to an emergency meeting at the White House. People thought that the president was looking at the C-SPAN version and said, get Tony the hell out of there and bring him to the Oval Office because I was giving a doomsday scenario, which wasn't the case. There was a pre-scheduled meeting at the White House, and they were waiting for me. I have got to jump to breaking news. Just came in. They're just telling me in my ear. This just into CNN. 23 years in prison. That is the sentence that has been handed down for Harvey Weinstein. We were shaping the show at Nightline. We're going to focus on this one Harvey Weinstein story for our entire broadcast. Miriam Haley, one of the accusers, stood before the court today and talked about what she had gone through. For the last two years, her life has been nothing but paranoia, believing there would be retaliation against her. And she said that she is so grateful for the conviction because now he will not offend against anyone else. I live within walking distance of the office, which is a sometimes a blessing and sometimes not. And so I was going to go home like I usually do, have lunch, take a nap. I probably had like my coat on, my Yankees cap in my hand, and I'm about ready to get out of the building. When we start hearing word that there might be this big announcement from the World Health Organization. We have rung the alarm bell loud and clear. I recognize that my day, our day at Nightline, was about to change. Breaking news, the World Health Organization officially declaring the coronavirus a pandemic. The World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus outbreak a pandemic. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly or 
carelessly. It's confirming more than 120,000 cases in 114 countries on six continents. This is a major, major announcement. New developments uh, in the White House response to the coronavirus pandemic. We are learning about the possibility of an Oval Office address from the President of the United States. As you know, the President's got this interesting relationship with me. He either loves me or he hates me. But that day, I think he loved me. The President wanted me to come to the Oval Office at 12.30 for a meeting about travel restrictions that were being discussed. At the meeting, we had Bob Redfield, Debbie Burks, Alex Azar. They had argued we should restrict all travel from the 26 European countries that are in the Schengen countries. That's the first time I heard the word. <laughs> I didn't know what Schengen meant. That's apparently the European Union countries, not the UK. So we went in and presented to the president that we needed to shut down the Schengen countries because this would be a real problem of infection. Now, the economists were getting very concerned this would cause not only a recession, but a depression. One executive says the coronavirus could have a bigger impact on the airline industry than 9-11. An 11-year bull market that survived hurricanes, a trade war and political upheaval was finally brought to an end today by the coronavirus. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell more than 1,400 points. We are officially in a bear market. The Dow and the S&P 500 have wiped out more than $5 trillion in value in just the last couple of weeks. The president, he asked a lot of good questions. Many of them were directed to me. And quite interestingly, he agreed. Even though he was concerned about the economy, he said he was more concerned about infections coming into the country. The president turned to Steve Miller and Jared and said, OK, get a speech ready. We're going to make this announcement. We got some breaking news for you related to coronavirus. The city of San Francisco has followed the lead of neighboring Santa Clara County and banned all gatherings of a thousand people or more for two weeks. That ban will include Warriors games, which means yes, the Warriors plan to play tomorrow night's game without fans. So the NBA, the first league forced to make a move to combat coronavirus fears. Ramona Shelburne. Up until about one second ago, you were working the phone, and through our tape time right now, we're hearing owners in the league are meeting. I'd been trying to text, you know, different owners and different team presidents, trying to find out what they had said. But the expectation was the thing they were going to talk about was the potential of playing games with a limited amount of fans. There's an increasing belief among teams throughout the league uh, that's where they will all eventually end up here with no fans in arenas. They're not quite there yet. That's part of what's being discussed. And that's what I thought we were going to be covering that night. When are they shutting down games in L.A. or games in New York to fans? That's what seemed like the furthest it would go that night. Back to the NBA. Tonight's games there. They're being played as scheduled, including a doubleheader here on ESPN. At 8 Eastern, Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets travel to Dallas to take on Luka and the Mavs. For more on the NBA tonight, Tom Rinaldi joins us courtside from the big game in Dallas. And Tom, what can you tell us 
Sage, that in essence, this could be an effective snapshot in time of the future to come. I remember we got to the arena and the earliest fans who showed up were receiving little bottles of hand sanitizer. In Dallas, a different kind of night for fans arriving at American Airlines Arena, receiving hand sanitizer. So, wow, I mean, how different is that? Here we are in a building in Dallas, packed with people. They had 20,000 announced. Yet another sellout. It was packed. And I was taking pictures with fans. And you know, you're, you're leaning in and you're smiling and you're engaging with the fans because they're as excited for the game as you are. The whole feel around that game, I can only describe it as strange. Instead of asking assistant coaches and players what they thought of the matchup, I was asking everyone how much a part of the conversation amongst the players is the virus. There was just this feel around the game in every circumstance that made it feel like something was coming. In Oklahoma City, the Utah Jazz getting set to take on Oklahoma City Thunder tonight as it currently stands right now. Utah and OKC would meet in the first round of the playoffs. I'm getting on the last bus to the arena and I have my Pedialyte in my hand that I was drinking, trying to get hydrated for the game. I still don't see those guys, Rudy and Emmanuel. You know, we're all in a group message, texting each other. Like, yo, what's going on? What's going on? Like, like yo, y'all coming to the game? Y'all coming to the game? Rudy texts back and just said, like, oh, I'm, I'm waiting. The whole day in Oklahoma City and the day of the game, I actually stayed in my room and until we we're going to know if I, if I had it or not. The goal was really for me to, to hopefully get the results before the game, and if the results were negative, I was going to play the game. You excited about Thunder game tonight? I think this could be a good game tonight. I have socks I wear to the games. It's one of those feelings like if you don't have something like that on, then you might be the reason that the team loses. My name is Evander Pittman. I have been a Thunder fan since the Thunder has been here in Oklahoma. You can't say anything bad about the Thunder, especially around my uncle. I always ride with him down there to the game, and we'll listen to our local sports radio show about what's going on with the game that night. Well, he's, uh, number one, Gobert's questionable with an illness, so I don't know that Gobert's going to play tonight. That would be huge for the Thunder. And if the Thunder win tonight, they're in the, they're in the four seed, right? That's right. This is a big game. This is a big game. I went home at around 5, and my commerce department called and said, Governor, we really need you to come over and meet this company. They were hosting it at the Thunder game. So I grabbed my 10-year-old son, Remington, and I said, hey, grab your basketball and your Sharpie. We're going to stop by the Thunder game tonight, and we'll, we'll get you some autographs. Once you go through the little curtains into the stadium, it's like walking into mayhem. Everyone was ready for the game, pumped up. It was packed. Oklahoma City off rip is like one of the hardest arenas to play in. They're very loud. The crowd was very into it and, you know, electric. There's a restaurant there in the first level of the where the Thunder play. And we walked over. I sat down and started visiting with, with this company. And my cell phone rang. So this is about 6.50. And, and I looked at it, and I was in the middle of conversation, and it was my commissioner of health. And I, I turned it over. I was going to ignore it. And, uh, and I thought, oh, man. 
and he normally doesn't call me on my cell phone, so I told him, I said, excuse me just a second. I stepped away from the table, and my commissioner of health said, Governor, he said, uh, I need to tell you something. He said, the Utah Jazz, one of their players got sick, and so we tested him, and he tested positive for COVID. He said, where are you at? I said, well, I'm at the Thunder game. And I said, who knows? And he said, nobody knows at this point. You're my first phone call. I said, okay, we'll stand by. I told my security, hey, go get Clay Bennett, the owner of the Thunder. I said, I need to meet him in a conference room right now. I mean, this is like 6.55, tip-offs at 7. Everything was going as normal. Music was playing. Everybody's up, jumping up, you know, screaming. T-shirts were being handed out to fans. The starters were introduced. There was a small group of us that were meeting down in uh, Sam Presti, our general manager's office, Sam and, and the governor and Clay and uh, a few folks from our business office and basketball ops in the bowels of Chesapeake Arena trying to figure out, you know, what the heck's going on. So we got Adam Silver on the phone and Bennett was saying, hey, what's what's NBA's policy on this? And they said, well, we don't, we don't really have one. It's a state issue. What's the state's position? You know, there was this like heightened sense of, okay, we really have to make, you know, a quick decision, but we have to make the right decision. So Clay Bennett, Adam Silver, our commissioner of health, and then Sam Presti, the four of us made the decision, hey, we probably need to call this uh, out of an abundance of caution for the health and safety of, uh, of Oklahomans and, and the players that are out there. Hi, I'm Billy Donovan, former coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. I would say that for the most part, everything was all the way normal, all the way up to the tip. So we were all locked in going through, you know, layup lines. Then you hear the buzzer ring. They were all kind of like huddled up. They were literally getting ready to tip the game off. Like the ref was standing there with the ball in his hand. Everybody's standing around in the circle, getting ready to jump off of the ball. And you see the team doctor run out of the tunnel. I saw our head medical guy, Donnie Schrack. I just saw him run across the floor. And I remember Sam just turning to, to Donnie and me and saying, you know, don't, don't let the game start. Don't let him tip the ball. And we just, we sprinted out there. And as that happened, Rob Hennigan, he came running across the floor. Donnie and I got with the officials and just explained the situation, and the officials were totally wide-eyed. And the officials basically held both teams at their benches. So you see the officials conferring here prior to the start of this game. It felt like someone had just hit the slow-mo button because the game wasn't starting. Head coaches now talking with the officials, Clint Snyder and Billy Donovan. We don't know what they're talking about. The officials brought us to half court. They were like, listen, we got word from the league. We need to postpone the game. And I'm like, okay, wh what is going on? And then Quinn, at that point in time, just said, hey, listen, we think that Rudy Gobert may have a positive test for COVID-19. And I'm like, COVID-19? What's COVID-19? And he's like, the coronavirus. We sit right behind the Thunder's bench, and you see the coaches, they have like a look of, you know, worry on their faces. The officials said, listen, we've got to stop this game, and they're waiting for more clarity on the results. So the best thing to do is just to go back into the locker room and wait, you know, for further instructions. And you see the teams heading back to the locker room. As I was walking off the court, I think the PA announcer just made a statement that the game was being delayed. 
I've been covering the NBA for eight years. I've never heard of anybody needing confirmation to start a game, and I've definitely never heard of it not coming through. We just walked back to the locker room, and it was just like, wow, who has it? I was in my hotel room in Oklahoma City, and uh, I was getting ready to watch my team play against the Thunder, and uh, when I saw that uh, some doctors ran on the floor and, and, and stopped the game, that's when I knew that something was going on. And I mean, I was a little nervous. I was waiting to, to get the call, and uh, a few seconds later, I got the call from the, from the trainer. And he told me that I, that I tested positive. Our first game of our doubleheader was Mavericks Nuggets. My name is Marco Alfandari. I am the producer of SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt. Wednesdays are unique in that this year we started doing halftimes of both games for the doubleheader. Luke and the Mavs hosting Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets at 8 Eastern. Then Zion and the Pelicans taking on Buddy Heald and the Kings. We meet every night at 5.30 Eastern time, talk about what we want to do, stroll over the cafeteria, grab some dinner. Scott has his Diet Cokes and his 100 grand bars that he likes to get. I like flaming hot Cheetos. We sit in a, uh, we call it the fishbowl. And so if you can picture a wall with one, two, three, four, maybe five monitors, and then one wall with a giant television. We're sitting in that room that night, and you're looking up and you're watching. And now, at some point, we look up and we're like, well, what are they doing? What's going on in Oklahoma City? They're supposed to be playing. Why aren't they playing? Not too long after that, it's you got to get up to the set. Woj is coming on with you. He doesn't bring his phone. He's not watching anything down there as he's getting set. When he's down in the studio, I'm really his eyes and ears. All right, so hold on. Marco, what are we going to do here? Is this, Everything is from his, from his lips to, to my ears to out of my mouth to whoever we're talking to. He doesn't, okay, okay. When we were holding hands in the dark, tiptoeing our way towards who knew, who knew what. We'll get back to the second quarter of our game in just a moment. I'm Scott Van Pelt, some breaking news out of Oklahoma City. In that moment, without the team on the floor when the game is supposed to be starting, they just started throwing everything they had at the court. There were t-shirt cannons being shot off. The mascot was out. There were dancers that came out. Please make some noise and put your hands together for the junior hip hop dance team. The so in the meantime, the fans will wait. We will wait. The local reporter sitting to my right pointed to a tweet on his computer screen and it said that law enforcement was on its way to the arena to evacuate it. The first thing that I thought was, you know, is something bad happening in the building? Is this a bomb threat? We didn't want to panic anyone. So how do we dismiss the stadium? Was Clay Bennett going to make the announcement? And his team was like, no, 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 you're not going to make the announcement. Clay said, you want to go out and make the announcement, Governor? (laughs) And my team was like, no, 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 we're not, you're not going to say anything, Governor. And so uh, a couple guys, they said, well, how about if we pulled a fire alarm? And, and Clay just went berserk on the two people that said that. Like, that was the stupidest thing he's ever heard of. We ultimately just said, no, let's just have the announcer do it. 
They got their halftime entertainment to kind of come forward, and nobody really knew what was going on. Well, you'll never forget this game. You won't ever forget this. <laughs> like, All right, well, before the game starts, you're going up. <laughs> They announced it was Frankie J, and I was like, wow, this guy's good. Kind of made things seem even more unstable, because it was like, why is this happening? All these different emotions are running through. I am nervous. My mind is scattered. Clay and I went out and sat on the front row there at his normal seats, and we were waiting for the entertainment to finish and wait for the announcement. I remember looking over at Clay, and I was with my son, and, and he was sitting there next to his wife, and I could just see his face. He was just – he didn't want to disappoint his fans and let his fans leave. I remember his wife was kind of rubbing his back and, you know, it was going to be okay to her husband, and, and he was very somber in the moment. That may have been one of the first pregame halftime shows in NBA history, and he did a heck of a job with it. Well, the last song that I performed, I think it was uh, Sugar Sugar. You know, the crowd is singing along to it. And as I'm kind of stepping out, that's when I hear the voice. It's when I was like, oh man, this is not happening. And I literally had to be escorted out because we didn't know how the crowd was going to react. We are all safe. No one feels safe when they hear that, especially in a building with 20,000 people. Please drive home safely. And good night, fans. To myself, I'm like, man, sports is over with. Like, <laughs> this may be the end of sports for the rest of the year. I called my editor. What's going on with this Gobert thing? Does he have it? And she's like, that's what we're hearing. And I was like, holy shit. He has it? Like, oh my God. And it didn't take long for you to realize that if Rudy Gobert was positive, there was a chance that just about every single player on every single team could have been exposed just based on who they had all played in the last 14 days. Good evening. We're coming on the air right now because President Trump is about to address the nation from the Oval Office on the coronavirus crisis. I helped in reviewing the speech. By the time we finished, it was pretty late and I got home essentially just in time. But the adrenaline and the energy of having gone head to head with the president, having helped with the editing of the speech, getting my ass back to the NIH, I was exhausted. My wife put together some food and a glass of beer. I remember it was Lagunitas IPA. <laughs> and I sat down, I watched the speech. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. You know, the, the president's 
speechwriters took some stuff out that I wanted to kept in. They kept in some stuff that I wanted to take out. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. The virus will not have a chance against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient than the United States. But at the end of the day, it was a reasonable speech that reflected what the discussions were in the Oval Office. Our future remains brighter than anyone can imagine. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. Now, other than a declaration of war or major terrorist event, in a generation, we have not heard a message from a president as serious as the one that was just delivered uh, by President Donald John Trump. The headline, for the next 30 days, no travel from Europe to the United States. That is stunning. That is, that is going to cause major disruptions. Our president is suspending all travel from Europe the next 30 days? Just announced that, yeah. You, you know what it is? And we I thought th we had a plan for a show tonight, yeah. and it keeps getting hijacked every 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden it was, Rudy Gobert test positive. President Trump gives his address. Oh my God, Tom Hanks? Like what? Tom Hanks has it? Like it was, how the hell did Tom Hanks get it? This is surprising, George. Just coming across Twitter that uh, Tom and Rita Hanks down in Australia announced that they were feeling run down with some body aches, fever, fatigue. They were tested and both tested positive for the coronavirus. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson are down in Australia. We just found out. And so about this time, I go down to the studio. It's usually just myself and the floor director. Michelle Meyer, she is a legendary figure in our business. She was Peter Jennings' floor director when he was the anchor of World News Tonight. She's seen a lot of bad things happen on her watch three or four times. She's looking at her phone, and then she says something like, Oh, shit. And when someone like her says that, you think, Uh-oh, I better pay attention. And I think she said again, Oh, shit, the NBA just suspended a season. The NBA has just suspended its season until further notice. There's a moment where you, in your ear, your producer says, all right, the, season, the NBA has just, just suspended the season. The season is suspended. Uh, Woj is going to join us. And you're in your head, you're hearing that, and you're going, wait, what? Rudy Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus. Starting tomorrow, NBA play is suspended. This is the last night of NBA games for the foreseeable future. Woj reporting that, hey, NBA is shut down. This, this Freddie. is huge. This is, I can't, we cannot emphasize how big this is. There's no levity you can bring to this. There's no nothing. The odd role that basketball is playing in our national confrontation of the reality of the coronavirus crisis. It's, oh my God, the NBA is such an ingrained part of American culture that it almost is sacrosanct. To be able to suspend that means something really, really serious is going on. At that point, at Nightline, people who are working on Harvey Weinstein cast it aside, you know, they're working on the pandemic. This is a time to be honest with one another. We are in a new normal. This is getting real for a lot of people. This is real and this is happening. This made this real. This just got real. It's going to be very real and for a while. Stay with us.
We welcome you back courtside, Ryan Rucco alongside Doris Bird. Once we received the news, your ability to concentrate on the action in front of you became distinctly hard. I mean, it was hard. But then you have to come to grips with the fact that you still are on national television and that you still have a responsibility to your viewers. Well, let's watch Luka Doncic, whose normal pick-and-roll partner is Kristaps Porzingis. Tonight, it's been this guy. And a nice solid... This is where the play-by-play's job becomes uh, a, an intricate and delicate dance. My name's Ian Gruka. I'm a NBA producer at ESPN. Jeff Evers, our director, you know, he knew once that moment was announced that, honestly, the, the probably highest profile person in that building was Mark Cuban, you know, probably the highest profile owner in our league. And I remember he told uh, our camera six, hey, stay on Mark Cuban. You can see right here the reaction from Mark Cuban when he got the news looking at his phone. It is one of the most indelible images I've ever seen. The absolute shock that crosses Mark Cuban's face. It's a man in a chair looking down at his phone and whiplashing back into his seat. You know, my, my first thought to Tom was, can we get Mark Cuban? Mark, first reaction. We got the shot of you reacting on the phone and seeing it. First reaction and thought when you learned that the season's been suspended. This is crazy. This can't be true. I mean, it's not within the realm of possibilities. It's just to it seem more like out of a movie than reality. Tom is in the middle of his interview with Mark. We're supposed to go to break. At that point, I'm like, guys, we ain't going to break. This is too good. I mean, I walked over to my wife. It's like, do we send our, do we send our kids to school tomorrow? You know, is it that big? And again, you know, it's like out of a movie. It's, just, it's not even real. We finished the interview, and he looked at me like he was still stunned. And I looked at him. I know like I was stunned. And it's the only thing I could think of to say to him again was, thanks and good luck. It, it felt a little chaotic and it absolutely felt surreal. It may, may have been the most strange feeling I've ever had on a telecast and I've been doing it since 1990. And our thoughts to all of us in this country, obviously, we have weighty things that we're dealing with at this moment. And uh, an interesting, interesting next couple of days. Score here in Dallas, the Mavericks 113, the Nuggets 97. Special thanks to our producer, Ian Gruca, Tom Rinaldi, Doris Burke, and our entire ESPN crew. I'm Ryan Rucco. What up. I felt before the game was this touch of anxiety. What I felt in the aftermath of that game was the beginning of fear. This entire evening uh, began to somewhat unravel in Oklahoma City. Royce Young joins us now. And Royce, I realize you've been in the uh, tunnel there and boots on the ground, so to speak. Yes, Scott, no player has left the arena yet. So uh, from what we understand right now, the players are being, uh, I don't know if I want to call it held behind those double doors, but they are not leaving. A lot of them are confused as to why they are not leaving. When we got back into our locker room, we were sitting around for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and that's when, you know, front office came in, medical came in, and they never used Rudy Gobert's name. They just said, a player from Utah has tested positive. This game is going to be canceled. We're not going to play. And then, hey, listen, we're postponing the rest of the, the rest of the season. Our head trainer, Mike Elliott, 
came into the locker room and came and told us that uh, Rudy had tested positive. Like real raw reaction is like, oh shit, we're fucked. We all have it. It's no way that we all don't have it. But you really don't know where anybody got it from. So we're all like, who are we gonna be mad at? Like, we're just mad at Corona right now. And that was it. We were not allowed to leave the building until we had our temperature taken and um, went through some questions by the doctors. Like, did you come in contact with anybody from the Utah Jazz? Did you shake anybody's hand? Were you near anybody? And once we did that, they let us leave, but we could not walk past Utah's locker room. We had to go out a different exit altogether to get out of the building. Okay. All right, Royce, we're going to be coming to you in just a second, all right? Okay, I'll be ready. I'm watching uh, Thunder, Th Thunder coaches leaving right now behind us. All of us from Oklahoma City probably got out of the arena by about 9.30. When I got back home, I just flipped on the news just to see what was going on, and I could see that Utah was still there. And they were basically talking about maybe bringing cots in for them to sleep, that they may not let them leave the building. At this point, we're just in the locker room calling our friends, family, People asking me questions like I was a doctor, like I knew what was going on. I'm just like, my life could be in danger for real. There was still one final game left on the schedule and it was that Pelicans-Kings game in Sacramento. That game tonight is between the Kings and the Pelicans. It's scheduled about 10 minutes from now. I say scheduled. In the same way that finishing that Mavericks game felt odd. The idea of starting the, the nightcap felt equally odd, if not more so. If we know that we're not going to play anymore, then why are we playing this game? We were piecing together the fact that the, one of the officials in that game had been in the Utah game, and then the Pelicans were like, man, that dude refereed that, a game with them. We're not playing. Everybody was just like, nah, we're not playing. It's not going to happen tonight. I'm J.J. Redick. I play for the New Orleans Pelicans. The game that was scheduled between the Pelicans and the Kings, that has been canceled. Leaving the arena was just the weirdest thing. I've got security on one side of me and another player on the other side, and there's fans trying to come over and talk to us. We're like, don't touch us, don't come near us. It was the first time in this whole thing where you realize like, we're gonna be separated from people for a while. When we get to the hotel, we order a bunch of wine. We're all sort of trying to decompress and come down. We're all scared. We're all on edge, to be honest with you. And at that point, for those two or two and a half hours, it was a lot of phone calls. It was a lot of texting. My wife texting me, she's like, I'm really scared. I'm really scared. I need you to get home. I need you to get home. We were supposed to go to Utah next. And once we realized we weren't gonna play, then it became about, can we leave now? We all wanna get home now. We need to get back to our families now. Scott Van Pelt with you here at ESPN Sports Center. It's about 11 o'clock Eastern time. We were supposed to be bringing you the uh, Pelicans and the Kings, but that- So the fact that they didn't start meant we had to start. And then we did, like, I don't even know, like 40 some odd, 50 minutes of, I think, uninterrupted TV 
where none of us knew what, what we were doing. Andrew Lopez joins us now. Tim Legler alongside. Malika, thank you so much for the time and the context. Always appreciate it. I'm going to reiterate and underline it a hundred times, and if, it, if it's over the top, I don't care. You don't know, I don't know, we don't know. Woj, uh, hold tight. Tim, hold tight for just a moment. More news from OKC. I remember consciously thinking, I'm freaking out as a sports fan, but don't project that, right? Try to be measured. Try to be quiet. Try to listen to what it is people are saying to you so that you can ask a coherent and thoughtful question next. And Royce Young, just off the phone with Sam Presti. And uh, Royce, what can you tell us about what he's got to say about the situation? Yeah, the Thunder have left the arena, Scott. The Jazz, though, are still here at the arena. There's a large group that just showed up in the hallway and they closed the curtain off and they didn't want anybody to go back there. And it's pretty obvious that that group of people is here to test the Utah Jazz me and a few other reporters were able to get into the tunnel and make our way to the area right next to the tunnel that leads to the visiting locker room. And we sat down at sort of this like makeshift folding table. You know, we didn't know a lot about the virus. One of the things that we did know was that proximity matters. And proximity to Rudy Gobert is my job. <laughs> and so then I start wondering, am I safe? Like, should I be worried? My mother is supposed to travel from California to Utah to visit me in two days. It was just a weird scene because as we're sitting there, I end up crying because I'm scared that I'm going to die. I call my mom. I tell her to cancel the trip. Meanwhile, we've got like, you know, people in like biohazard suits, it looks like, walking towards the locker room. When they came in the locker room, they were in like Monsters, Inc. suits, like, you know, the glass masks and all that, like full body covered suits, like all the way down to everything. And we were just like, oh, wow, this is really serious. Like, then I seen one of my teammates, they did his nose thing and he just was over there, eyes watering, uh, everything. I was like, yeah. And she like stuck the like, swab things super far down his nose and I just was like oh no I ain't gonna be able to do this I mean people are on the ground ripping open testing kits um, because there's just boxes everywhere outside of the locker room and then they're lining up people like five or six at a time like okay I've got your name your name your name your name you're gonna come into the locker room sit in these chairs and we're gonna do this so it's a long process to get not only all of the jazz traveling party tested but then the rest of the people the broadcast crew all the trainers and and then the three beat reporters you know we were told uh, walk back towards the locker room we're gonna let you guys back here you're gonna get tested they administer the test. They stuck a swab up my nose. All of the men take it like children. I handled it just fine. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was uncomfortable. It didn't hurt. Test is over. They tell us we're going to go back out into the hallway and someone from the Department of Health and someone from the CDC, they're going to talk to us and tell us what the next steps are. And so, they start talking to us about, you can't fly commercially. And so we were like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> we don't live in Oklahoma, we need to get to Utah. How are we supposed to get home? And he was like, I don't know. Like, I, great question. Uh, at this point, I'm just like, 
scared and nervous. Like I, I really don't get scared of a lot of things. And, but this at this point, I'm like, man, like, you know, really kind of just put everything in perspective. Like, man, we got to like get this under control and figure out what we're going to do. Figure out really how we're going to get out of here and if we safe to safe enough to leave. So when I, when I found out that I was positive, the first thought that came to my mind was I need to call my mother and make sure that she gets the news from me because she, she got a tendency to stress a lot over things. And uh, my mom is, is everything to me. She was actually asleep at the time because of the time difference. So I kept calling, kept calling. I told myself that I didn't want to go to sleep until... Uh, until I had uh, told her and that she, she was able to hear my voice. She cried a little bit, but I tried to reassure her and, uh, and tell her, uh, repeating to her that I was, uh, that I was doing fine. And, uh, and after that, you know, she, she just wanted to, to hear my voice. Driving home that night, and the drive home in Connecticut is an interesting one because it's Route 84, late at night, there's no one on the roads, and it's just you and headlights and a dark highway, and it's just a drive home to, you're driving into a, a world that just felt like you, you didn't, everything looked familiar, but nothing felt the same. You know, you're just like, like, holy shit, what is this all about? Like, what is this even gonna mean? I was so mad. I was just so, I was so bummed out as a fan. That was it. Like, everything stops. Because if the NBA is not playing, then college basketball is not playing. And the NHL will take its cues from the NBA. And so we're just not going to play for a while. So you go home and sit there, and it's late at night, and you're by yourself in a quiet house, and you just, you know, you just, you knew that the direction of the entire 2020 year for the whole world just took a massive turn. I sat in the chair, Michelle and I, we fist pumped because Michelle knew, the seasoned broadcast journalist knew that it was going to be a night like few we'd ever experienced in our career. And so I sat there, I had my script, had my uh, glass of ginger ale on ice and strapped in for what was a long night. This is Nightline. Tonight, the president facing the pandemic I know for me personally, I was feeling a little shaken. Most times when I cover really bad stories, it means I have to get on a plane to go someplace else. But on March 11th, the bad news wasn't just like outside the door, right? It was around me, it was around all of us. So I wanted to find something that would encourage people. This month marks the 40th anniversary of our broadcast. Nightline was born in response to a crisis giving facts, context, and when possible, comfort as our nation dealt with the Iran hostages. 40 years later, the coronavirus is our new challenge. In many ways, the show went back to where it started. There's a crisis. We're gonna find a way to tell this serious story in a narrative way that the average person can understand and that they can go to bed with a sense that this is how it is in the world and this is the world I will face in the morning when I wake up. 
It was American businessman Jay Willard Marriott who said, good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the tree. My friends, we are a nation of good timber. That's Nightline for this evening. Thanks for the company, America. Good night. Good morning. We get up together on this day in a different place. I literally stayed up the whole night. I remember watching the sunrise. I took a shower, and as I was in the shower, Mike Elliott calls me again and says, JC, you're negative. Like, it was just like a sigh of relief, and like I kind of like fell to my knees in the shower and just was like, like taking a deep breath and calling my parents. When I got a call that said that I tested negative, I thought, I dodged a bullet. I, don't, I didn't know how I did, but I dodged a bullet. We were all rushing down to the lobby if he was negative, like boom, boom, boom. And I just remember turning and not seeing Donovan there. I just was like, oh. Jazz star Donovan Mitchell has tested positive for the coronavirus. We sat in that hallway and chatted with Donovan Mitchell for a little bit before we went in and got tested. And they just told me that the incubation period is 14 days. So I'm not safe at all. And so, you know, that night was sleepless and many nights after were sleepless. An unprecedented day in the world of sports, the coronavirus outbreak, bringing nearly every major sport or sporting event to a halt. The NHL has suspended its season. The NFL has canceled. The ATP has announced a six-week suspension. Major League Soccer is suspending its entire season. MLB is expected to announce today they will be suspending all The NCAA is indeed canceling the men's and women's basketball tournament. It will, it's not postponed. It will not happen this year. If the disease hasn't hit a family member or friend, the chances are pretty high it will. And here at ESPN, it has. Longtime basketball analyst Doris Burke has tested positive for COVID-19. It never crossed my mind that I had the virus. And it wasn't until I got home and day after day started to pass and my fatigue level was not getting better. And now I couldn't get out of bed. If I got out of bed for five minutes, I would look at my daughter and go, I, I have to go back upstairs. What we know now is when I was interacting with those fans, with the coaches, with the players, and with my colleagues, I was unequivocally shedding the virus. And so you have to come to grips with that as a person. Once I started to get better, I literally, the only thing I think in, even to this day, is I'm so thankful to be well. I'm so thankful that I came through it. And I am so thankful that I did not get any of my colleagues sick. Because that would have broken my heart. Just three months into this pandemic, and tonight America has just crossed that awful milestone. The U.S. has now reached 100,000 lives lost. The pandemic surges across the country. We're approaching 7 million infections. More than 12 million documented COVID infections. The U.S. facing 200,000 coronavirus deaths. We're losing the equivalent of a 9-11 attack every three days in the U.S. What's gone on between March and now is like, you know, a cement truck dumping all the concrete on my head and, and trying to at the same time drink from a fire hydrant. I think hopefully when it's over, we everybody will realize that we're all in this together. 
hopefully when we come out of this, we, we're going to have a different perception on you know, the world and, uh, and how to appreciate life. With everything that's going through, if there's one thing that you realize is that uh, you know you gotta enjoy every moment with the people that you love. There's still people that don't take this seriously, saying the virus doesn't exist. We all know people who have died from this. We all know people who've been hospitalized from this. So, like, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get up, like worked up about this, but if we live with this thing for five more years and we never get it under control and five million people die, then who the fuck cares what the NBA did on March 11th? You know, I've known a couple people to contract the virus. I knew a guy that passed away from it, you know? So it was like one of those deals where when it comes to my safety and my family's safety, I'd rather be safe than to be at a game, you know? Because there's always next season. I've never lived through something like this. I think most people would tell you the same thing, that 2020 has been a, a very strange year. It's really a watershed moment in American history, and you can trace it back to that day on March 11th. Honestly, the more I look back on March 11th, the more I realize that the signs of how seriously we should have taken everything, we're all there. They were all there, blinking lights in front of all of us blinking lights. Everyone involved in this, like we all saw it. We just didn't know how big it was really going to be. In a really short amount of time, we went from knowing nothing and taking almost zero precaution to really starting to address this. And so it feels like Rudy Gobert testing positive and leading to the NBA shutting down potentially saved thousands of lives. Right or wrong, sports have an ability to spark national conversation in ways that some other institutions no longer can or maybe never have. We look to sports for something. Sometimes it's distraction. Sometimes it's passion. But sometimes its leadership. That's what the NBA provided in this one moment. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. 
It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Let's, let's rock and roll and we'll try to do this. All right, I think we're good. I think we're golden here. One, two, one, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. March 11th, 2020 was developed with ESPN senior writer Ramona Shelburne and inspired by her article, Inside the NBA Coronavirus Shutdown, How a Few Tense Hours Changed Everything. Senior editorial producer, Julia Lowry-Henderson. Senior producer, Kristen Lapis. Production team, Meredith Hodnott. Andrew Mambo. Riley Bloom. Derwin Graham. Gus Navarro. Executive producers, Aaron Leiden and Libby Geist. Original music, sound design, and mix engineering by Ryan Ross-Smith. Project manager and licensing, Kat Sangi. Louise Argianis and Jennifer Thorpe provided additional licensing support. Executive producers for ESPN, Connor Shell and Rob King. The ESPN research team provided fact-checking. Alan Lau provided legal review. Special thanks to the E60 team, Stacy Pressman, Eve Wolf, and Mitra Kaboli. All right. All right. We'll talk. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. So I can hit stop. <laughs>